0: If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This
1: episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored, Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit Hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
0: For today's podcast, we've got an interview with the public historian Greg Jenner. Greg recently acted as the lead historical advisor on a new movie, Horrible History's the movie Rotten Romans. He spoke to Eleanor Evans, our deputy digital editor, about the making of the film and the challenges of turning history into comedy
2: you were lead advisor to this film and it looks um you know funny irreverent all the things that we've come to expect from from horrible histories can you give us a sense of of your role on the film how you work with the comedy writers what what what's the process there
3: yeah it's um it's really interesting. So I've, I've worked on the TV show for 11 years. And so going into making a movie um, is similar in some ways, but really different in others, because first and foremost, you have to find a single story. You know, you're not doing a sketch show where you jump around every two minutes. So my first role really was in um, helping the producers pick what the story would be. And they were, they were asking for a a story that was sort of boy meets girl but not necessarily a romance more of a friendship story but people from perhaps opposite sides of uh, of an argument who might come to respect each other and after a little while it was a question of like okay what is what's a big iconic uh marketable but exciting story uh with great visuals with great characters and it's like okay well Boudica, nero That feels like a really good bit of global history, but it is also part of our history in the UK. And you've got really funny characters in Boudicca and Nero. If we invent some fictional characters to go into that story, perhaps we can do the the rebellion of 60 to 61 CE. So uh, that was my first sort of big role was, was kind of helping to choose what the subject would be. And then thereafter you're working with the screenwriter. So we've got a fantastic screenwriter called uh, Jessica Swale, who's a brilliant writer. Um, she did the Nell Gwynn play in, in the West end. Um, and, you're working with, with her, you're working with the uh, producers, Caroline and uh, Giles and the director, Dom, and then also other joke writers who come on board and help us out. And you're trying to find on every page a joke, a fact, and of course, most importantly of all, a story with likable characters who are kids are going to root for and are going to are gonna want to follow for 90 minutes. So it's really different to doing the sketch show because all of your Um, job as a historian is suddenly to facilitate this storytelling whereas on the sketch show it's all about punchlines and jokes and of course communicating factual information so it was really fun it was it took four years to get the film off the ground so it's really lovely to see it at last um but it's a really lovely challenge but we learned a lot from watching monty python um because they had this problem in the 1970s. Uh, They went from making a hugely successful sketch show to um, having to do a single narrative story. And they did Life of Brian 2nd, which is their biggest hit. But the film that I know intimately is Holy Grail, because I wrote my master's thesis about it. Uh, I was a medievalist uh, initially before I became a sort of jobbing, does a bit of everything historian. And um, that film is their transferal from sketch to narrative and we had to do something similar so we have we have borrowed <laughs> quite a lot from python and there are even a couple of python homages in the the film itself a couple of jokes that people will go hang on a minute i've seen that before they are our loving tributes to monty python
2: uh, and does it owe anything else to the other show you mentioned blackadder and anything like that people always remember that the emotion of that kind of um the end of the series going over the top and it shows the power of that comedy balance with that emotion. Did you kind of take any steer from that?
3: That's a really good point actually, because uh, Blackadder's finale of course is, is one of the saddest sort of bits in, in modern uh, comedy, but also just in pop culture because you've rooted for these characters, even though they're, they're kind of awful characters, you, you would hate to be locked in a lift with them. Um, their their death is is this deep trauma and of course in our film we're talking about rebellion and war empire and conquest there are big battle scenes which you can't really do for kids you know with violence and gore so we the big battle of Watling Street is a sort of combination of a kind of rap battle hip-hop dance and um and sort of fighting without blood you know so there is there's jeopardy but you can't do the really nasty stuff but actually you're right there's a the surprising thing about making a film actually is that you have to invest your film with heart and, and warmth and characters that you like and root for and or baddies that you're booing and our two lead actors, Sebastian Kraft and uh, Amelia Jones, who are fantastic and they are friends in real life. They have this amazing chemistry and as soon as they're on screen together, you just, you're rooting for them. So it's really, really lovely. Um, but there is definitely this sense that uh, what makes comedy profound sometimes is is the jeopardy of what goes wrong. What what could possibly go wrong for the characters we're rooting for? You know, we can laugh all the way through at all the stupid jokes. And there are loads of toilet jokes in there. And, you know, all the things that kids love uh, that you'll know from the Horrible History Sketch Show. But at this point, when you uh, step across to making a movie, you've got to ensure your characters are... Uh, likeable and followable and that you're rooting for them and that when they're in danger you're genuinely worried for them. So uh, that was a real challenge but I think we pulled it off.
2: You mentioned there obviously there are certain topics you you can't address for for children, you know, gore and and really brutal battles and that kind of thing. But talking yeah. about um kind of comedic approaches to history or pa- parody of history or or for for adults, is there any subject is there a, is there a line there that you just can't cross that, that or is everything up for grabs?
3: That's a really great question. I um I made a documentary for Radio Four Extra uh, at Christmas, asking this this question actually, and I, I was interviewing people like Stephen Fry and so on, talking about history and comedy. Why do com- um why do comedy writers find history so interesting? And we talked a lot about Blackadder, of course. Um, and there are in theory no subjects that are off limits because comedy is transgressive. Uh, the point of comedy often is to find humour in things that are quite dark and macabre, or um, are uh, you know n- not the sort of thing necessarily unless you can find a way in. But there are definitely things that we have looked at on horrible histories, and gone well. How do we, how would we even start to do that? And I mean, the Holocaust is certainly one of them. You know, we we looked at it because it's such an important piece of history. And of course, Holocaust denial is such an insidious scourge that we have to combat. But there's just no funny way in, really. And, and I lost family in the Holocaust. I was um, sort of quite felt very passionate we should be looking at it and trying but in the end there's just no joke on it and there are certainly elements of the history of slavery the the history of of empire where you have to be really careful in your jokes because the the legacy of empire the legacy of slavery the legacy of um institutional violence against entire civilizations entire continents you know by the british empire or, or various global empires is you, the legacy is still there right now and it, you can't be making jokes about it. And if you do do jokes, you've got to be really careful. So there's, in theory, there is no subject that is off limits, provided you can find the right joke. But that's always the challenge. And sometimes the right joke just doesn't quite arrive.
2: Are you able to give us any examples of, of, of that or you know, where, where
3: something just wouldn't have worked? Um, yeah, I, I, I think there have been attempts to look at, you know, it's, it's challenging. You, you look sometimes at, say, um, Oliver Cromwell, and, and we did an episode about him, and he's such a contested figure, um, particularly in Ireland, of course. And th- the moment you sort of open that box, you're immediately going, hang on a minute, there's no comedy here, really. Um, there's no jokes here. And, and, of course, you know, a show for children, it, it's, it's much more of a challenge to, to find the humour and slapstick but when you're talking about, you know, horrible atrocities and slaughters, way harder to do that. And I think, yeah, in, in that regard, the, the Cromwell episode we did, we didn't look at his campaign in Ireland because as soon as we did, it destabilized the entire episode. And uh, I would certainly like to try again uh, another time Uh, and see if we can come back at it but in that particular episode where the rhythm of the episode is so important the the, the other thing about comedy of course is it's all about rhythm it's all about um one sketch the next sketch the next sketch and a song and so on and if you interrupt that rhythm it destabilizes the whole episode and the thing falls apart so sometimes you do a sketch and it just doesn't fit with the other sketches it just it jars it it stands out um so you you can occasionally do a sad sketch you know we did one about the christmas truce in the first world war which is quite sombre. But we are a high-energy comedy show. And uh, as soon as you're dealing with um, slaughter and atrocity, it's really hard to to find the jokes there without sounding insensitive.
2: It's obviously a great vehicle for getting people into these histories, these historical narratives. Um, but there are so many others these days and obviously you're very active on Twitter. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to ask, um, what role do you see social media playing? Well, obviously the, the humans behind it, the historians on Twitter, um, mm. amid current concerns of misinformation or concerns that history might be harnessed for uh, political purposes or you know misinformation campaigns or anything like that. What, what role do you see um, Twitter Holding there?
3: That's a fantastic question. There is an enormous um, historical community on Twitter if you want to go check it out. Um, I follow literally thousands of historians on Twitter. I follow 9,000 people, of whom about 4,500 are historians. And um, there are so many experts out there who are trying their best to combat fake news. And, yeah, the role of the historian, of course, is, is to educate the public, is to inform the public, is to step into the conversation. So Twitter is a brilliant thing in that regard. But at the same time, you're you're fighting against a tide of, of misinformation and dangerous knowledge sometimes. Um, the, you know, in America, there's a historian called Kevin Cruz who's doing amazing work fighting back against the sort of uh, the idea of... Um, the Civil War and, and uh, civil rights movement and so on and that kind of stuff. There's um, a historian doing great work uh, whose names escaped me. And, and I, I apologize to him because he's amazing work in in suppressing this sort of that myth about the Irish being slaves, which is just not true. The Irish were never slaves. Um, and there is a, a huge community of people doing education about um the history of anti-Semitism, the history of racism, um, the significance of recently we've seen, of course, the way in which the the Windrush generation were treated very, very poorly by their own government. Um the historians have uh They have knowledge, they have power, but they also have a responsibility to try and influence the conversation. And what's really exciting, I think, is that because there are so many journalists on Twitter and because there are so many historians on Twitter, they inevitably keep finding each other. And I'm seeing way more news stories now where historians are being interviewed and being they're commenting on Twitter. Their Twitter is going viral. It's getting thousands of retweets and the news are picking it up and are turning it into stories that then go and reach the rest of the um, general public. So. What's great about being on Twitter is that it's a, an amazing community where their expertise is, is sitting there freely distributing knowledge, which is a wonderful thing in itself. But also you can react to a story breaking that morning and you can try and put out the fires. Um, and you know, we've seen the fiftieth anniversary of the moon landing and uh, and horrible histories did a special episode about it, which is really exciting. So if you've got kids and you want you want to see that, um that's on iPlayer. But also, of course, there's still a huge amount of uh, of conspiracy theory out there saying the moon landings never happened. So sometimes historians just have to not not even add nuance. They just have to confirm a thing even happened, which is bizarre in this day and age,
2: so obviously, horrible histories is um obviously aimed at children, although adults can enjoy it too, but you're also working on a new project out later this year. What can you tell us about that?
3: Yeah, I'm just finishing the the last episode right now. It's a podcast. Um, it's a BBC podcast on, on BBC Sounds. It's called You're Dead to Me. Um, and it's a, it's a history podcast with jokes. The idea being that it's to help um, people properly in their 20s, 30s, 40s maybe, who didn't get on with history at school and have a big old gap in their knowledge and they they wish they kind of could fill it. But at the same time, they find history books scary and intimidating or they don't quite know where to start. And there's so much history. Where do you begin? So it's a comedy podcast. I'm there every week as the host. Uh, Every episode is a different historical subject. And every episode is two new guests. One is a top Comedian from um, TV shows that you would have loved, and the other is an expert historian with a PhD. We've done uh, the history of football, the history of LGBT identities. We've done Mansa Musa, the um, medieval West African Islamic king. We've done Justinian Theodora with Peter Frankopan. We've just recorded last week um, the European witch craze of the 17th century with Susanna Lipscomb and uh, Ad Lloyd. We've done Stonehenge. Um, The Spartans, the Aztecs, you know, we're really jumping all over the place. Joan of Arc with Helen Castor. It's uh, it's really, really funny. And it's really informative because the ambitious thing that we're trying to do, which is very much what my career is all about, is rather than doing another history podcast where you just get two people in a room who've read one book, you get a proper expert in who studies this for their career. You get someone in who's a professor or they've got a PhD, but then you put them in a room with a comedian who knows nothing. But who's funny and who's curious and who's intelligent. And the two of them have a lovely chat. And we race through all the stuff that you need to know about that subject. So uh, I'm really proud of it because it's both funny and amusing, but also you come away with a really high level of knowledge. And actually, a lot of the people who've listened to it, who have history degrees have come to me and said, hang on a minute, this is I didn't learn this at school, and I didn't learn this at university. And I go, no, this is absolutely expert knowledge being delivered in an accessible way.
2: Back to horrible histories. Then, if 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 people are, are heading to the cinemas to see it, that they're, they're maybe heading with their children, or, or or you know, can you go and see it without kids? Do you think it's? Uh... <laughs>
3: <laughs> I've seen it five times without. Kids. So, yeah, it's it's a family film. I mean, it's it's designed for kids, and it's absolutely engineered to make seven, eight, nine, ten year olds giggle and laugh and learn some Roman and Celtic history and um, have a lovely time in their school holidays. But it's definitely the kind of film that uh, anyone of any age will be able to sit there and smile and laugh. There's jokes in there that probably will go over the kids' heads and that uh, mums and dads will get instead. Um, And it's designed for family viewing but it's it's made for kids it's an edu- you know we're an educational show in some regards we're a comedy show mainly but we're trying to get kids to fall in love with history to to see history as a subject that they can pursue in their life as hopefully a GCSE maybe an A level maybe even study at university but ultimately we want kids to grow up enjoying history books enjoying history podcasts enjoying the very notion of history going to stately homes or national trust properties at the weekend so the film is made for for young kids have a brilliant time but I uh, I promise you that if you go without kids you're still going to have a lovely time as well and
2: could you maybe leave us with a particular fact maybe or or just something surprising from the film that's really gonna you reckon it's gonna really hit the note with audiences that's just just pure history fun
3: um that's that's a great question I think the one thing that everyone's like is that is that true is the um right at the end of the film Emperor Nero Uh, and actually it's a scene where I'm making a cameo alongside him. So I play Nero's historian, which is an (laughs) in-joke that nobody's going to get, but my mum is very proud. Um. He wears um, emerald sunglasses. He puts on these two green emerald sunglasses and and walks out into the sunshine. Uh, And that is based on historical reference. We're not quite sure about the sunglasses element, but he apparently used to hold up emeralds in front of his eyes when the sun was bright to stop the the sunlight making his eyes squint. So the idea of uh, 2,000 years ago, nearly 2,000 years ago, uh, a Roman emperor... Essentially, using sunglasses or something similar to refract the light and protect his eyes uh, is quite a fun thing that you wouldn't really expect. So that's in there, and people who've seen the film keep coming up to me and going, "Is that true?" And I go, "Yeah, it's yeah, it's mostly true. It's we've obviously made it funny with the sunglasses thing, but it's it is essentially sunglasses. But there are loads of facts in there about Roman engineering, uh, about how Romans told the time. So that it's it's packed with historical information, but it's smuggled in with jokes."
0: That was Greg Jenner. Horrible Histories, the movie, Rotten Romans, is out now in the UK and Ireland. For more weird and wonderful history content, including a tonne of material on the Romans, head to our website. You'll find us at historyextra.com. Thanks for listening. Today's podcast was produced by Ben Hewitt and Jack Bateman. We'll be back on Thursday when I'll be speaking to Jill Bennett about the Zinoviev letter.